So I think it's just important to remember. One is that we, so often we can feel like we're the only ones that find ourselves stuck in this place or in this mental space or in this struggle or in this, this pain. And this reminder is that, no, that, that the, the pain of just living in a broken, fallen world, we all feel. But the miracle is that God showed up in the pain and the brokenness of this fallen world so that we wouldn't have to, to walk it alone. And so we're going to look at this story, this historical account of some of the most mysterious figures in the Bible because we don't actually know much about them. We don't know where they came from. We don't know exactly how many there even were. I mean, we've had songs written and, and movies made, and so somehow we have this imagination that there were three of them, and uh, they, they came from afar, but we don't actually know much except that they traveled a long way. We don't even know exactly when they arrived. What we do know is that it wasn't actually the night of Jesus' birth, uh, but probably within sometime within the first two years of his life. But what we, the thing that we know that's most important of these mysterious, wise men was that after a long search, they found Jesus. And when they found him, they worshipped him. And we know that they were on a journey that was marked and defined by hope. There's a great quote that says, that someone, uh, or that we can live 40 days without food. We can live eight days without water. Four minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. That we need hope, this confident or certain expectation. Uh, we've been studying Romans and, uh, and reading this amazing letter Paul wrote to, to galvanize a church around the gospel, to become a center from which mission could be launched as they were rooted in the love of God and the, and the grace and forgiveness of God through Jesus for all people. But at the end of Romans, as Paul is wrapping up, he looks back on all of the things that he's discussed, and we spent the last few weeks looking at how the, all the Old Testament allusions that Paul uses as he's pulling together, weaving together this continuous story that God has been telling from the beginning of creation. And he writes in Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope that we look back and we retell the stories and again as i love as we the way we approach scripture here at grace is we we look to see the truths and how they applied and and what they were speaking in the context in which they were given but then we, we zoom back out and we see okay god that living word is still just as true in my life today and so, yes, we look back at that. We have the, the biblical accounts and the biblical stories and the history that we see the faithfulness of God over and over again that gives us hope for the future. But we also, that's why, as Annie was saying, the importance of storytelling. We remember our own story. And sometimes when we can't, don't even have the right eyes to properly interpret our own story, we need to hear other people's stories of God's faithfulness and freedom and healing that we might have hope to look towards the future. And so, we begin this story in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, 
During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So what we do know is that, uh, that these are um, wise men that are, are from the east, that they're, they're traveling, they've heard about this king of the Jews. We don't know how they have heard, where they got that information from. The understanding or the, the, ancient, the history of this is to say that these were men of high position or high esteem. That they're probably our, our best guess is that they were they obviously studied the stars they were knowledgeable and learned they knew history uh, they, they knew geopolitical events so our guess is they were probably astrologers or astronomers from Persia near the site of ancient Babylon and so they look up in the sky and they see this this star that appears in a way that is abnormal that catches their attention and somehow they know it is the announcement of a king we don't know how they know this like I said it's one of those most mysterious stories uh, they could have actually have been Jews that had remained in Persia from after the, the uh, from after the exile if you remember the Old Testament that the Jews had been re forcibly removed out of Jerusalem and uh, in Israel and taken into the Babylonian Empire so they could have been the remnant of the faithful that had remained and were waiting in expectation for the fulfillment of their prophecies they may have just been brilliant uh, Eastern astrologers who had studied other manuscripts from around the world. There, there's a tradition that actually says that, that they would have been influenced by other wise men that we know about in the Bible, like this guy named Daniel, that had a position of learning and counsel. Perhaps they knew of Balaam's prediction that a star would come out of Jacob, Numbers 24, 17. And they connected this with the prophecy of 70 weeks, which foretold the time of Christ's first coming in Daniel 9, 24, and 25. Whatever it was, they understood that something significant was happening, something that was changing the world as they knew it, and they were willing to take a long dangerous, unknown, scary journey to pursue what God was beginning to give them a glimpse of. There's all kinds of theories around even what they were looking at when they looked up at the star. I remember, I guess it was last, either last year or the year before, the, the, the Christmas star that came that is actually just the alignment of uh, two planets. And they say that it happens, you know, every whatever, 100 years, that these certain planets align. Does anybody else remember that? We went out on the back porch of the row, and you could see it over on the horizon, this brightly shining star. It was really just these two planets that were closely together in the sky. There's actually an astronomer that uh, has recently come out to say that uh, that the alignment of the planets would have been an alignment not just of two stars, which happens only every several decades, but, but the alignment of potentially four different planets on that date in 2 BC. Basically a once in an 8,000 year occurrence. 
whatever it was, it drew attention to the fact, and maybe it was just the miracle of God, that God made a heavenly body appear in a way that led these wise men, compelled them to undertake this difficult journey. And even in that, just to remember as we focus again on, okay, how does this story of God's encounter with this random, mysterious group of men, how does that speak into my story? And I think even just that reminder that this was a long, difficult road with not many answers along the way may speak into the places that we need hope this morning. Maybe just pause right now. I make this personal. You don't have to say it out loud, but just between you and God. Like, where is somewhere you need hope this morning? Somewhere that you're in, that you're struggling, or that you've given up on, that feels lost or stuck. And that reminder that sometimes that journey to find hope takes longer than we think it will. It's harder than we think it's going to be. And we don't get much answers along the way. And yet, God is fully present every step of their journey. In the same way that right now, whatever's coming to mind for you, God is fully present. Even when it doesn't seem like you're getting the answers you need. So some of you looking for hope have been looking for some time. In the places that seem hopeless, remember God's word in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And it'd be nice if, uh, if we had a star or a sign. Actually, some of my favorite scenes in movies are, uh, there's a terrible movie that's still pretty funny. The Jerk, you remember that? And there's a scene in it, I'm not recommending to go see it if you haven't seen it, but I'll just tell you the scene I'm talking about is, uh, is he's making a decision about this girl, whether or not he should be in a relationship with her. And he's like, I just need a sign. And the house that he's in begins to shake. And he's like, you know, I need a sign. And, and the picture of his, of his ex-wife on the wall begins to spin and lights begin to flicker on and off. And he's like, I just need a sign. And I wonder if sometimes we live the same way. God, I need a sign. And God's like, I've been speaking clearly. I brought three different people to tell you the same thing three different times. Yeah, but I need another one. I just need a star that lights up the sky. But the amazing thing is, is that we actually have something better than a star or a random mystical sign in the heavens. We actually have this thing called the Word of God. As Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And then even better than that, this written Word that we have that can guide us along the way and may not give us an answer Five, ten steps down the road, but at least can give us what we need for the next step of faith forward. We also have the living word. Remember at the end of Jesus' life, when he gathered with his disciples in the upper room, we, we remember this moment as part of, our, of, of um, the tradition of our faith, the sacrament of our faith, uh, this communion moment that Jesus has symbolizing him giving his life and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins. 
But in that final meal with his disciples, he told them, don't, don't be afraid that I'm going away because I'm going to come back for you. This is John 14. And then he throws it out there. He kind of lobs this statement that he's almost like he's fishing for an answer. He's like, you know the way to the place I'm going. And they're like, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Give us a sign. Light up a star in heaven. And what does Jesus say? In John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And in these journeys, in these places of hopelessness or, or struggle or pain, we have the, God's written word to guide us better, a light for our feet better than any star in the heavens. And we have the living word. Even as Annie said, I love that that's a part of their joy group experience. If you haven't noticed, it's sort of the way that I preach, even as we're studying the scriptures, to, to pause and give space to listen to the living word of God that wants to speak into your heart that wants to speak into your circumstances, that wants to give you a word of hope for you to hold on to in whatever you're facing. So we continue. In verse 9, well, so, I mean, fast forward a little bit, just we know the story, but basically they follow the star and, uh, and they, they end up in Jerusalem and they come to the king, it makes sense that these wise men who probably were part of the king's council in Persia would try to find the king of the land to figure out where this new king was being born. Herod, who history tells us was violent, insecure, jealous, immediately tunes into the fact that there's another king that's shown up. Pulls his religious scholars together. And they ask this question, where is this Christ, the Messiah, that's supposed to be born? Where is this anointed king that the prophets have promised? And the scribes come, the religious leaders come, and they tell him. They give him an answer. In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Though you're small, you're still insignificant. For from out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. This little no-name forgotten town has a significant place in the prophetic witness. It would be this little town, this little suburb of Jerusalem, this little village known for the tending of sheep. In fact, on the hills of Bethlehem, the, the sheep were kept that would become the sheep that would be Sacrificed in the temple, there would be a child that would be born. Now Herod, jealous of this new king and, and this appointed, prophesied ruler, tells the wise men, hey, tell me when you, uh, when you find him so that I too can go and worship him, meaning to, to trick them, we find out. And he sends them. And so they move on, and after they'd heard the king, verse 9, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now we get into that part of the story and, and, uh, and, and the miraculous element of this 
evening begins to take center stage. I mean, this wasn't just a star on the horizon that they're falling like sailors across the Atlantic. But there's something about this that pointed to this place where this child was. God aligning all of the cosmos on this moment. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. We don't know how it did it, but it was enough that it showed them the way. And what did they find as they were seeking the promises of God? They found Jesus. And what was the most important thing we learn in the story? That when they found him, they fell down and they worshipped him. And what we see in this story is there's sort of three responses to Jesus. Right here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, and he'll carry this theme all the way through. You can oppose him like the king that wanted his life, his throne to, to be elevated above the true king of kings. And in fact, so threatened by the, the reign and the rule of Jesus, the Son of God, that he was willing to kill him. And that sounds violent and scary, and we place Herod in that category of the other guy that we would never be. But what are the ways that we overthrow Jesus in our own lives, the throne of our own hearts? So we say, no, 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 I would rather, I would rather set you aside, I would rather to diminish you that I might remain in control of my life. So we very easily can oppose Jesus like Herod. Or we can ignore him like the religious leaders. They're really interesting sort of aside that's easy to, to skip over in that story. And that is that the religious leaders come with the answer about where the prophesied king is going to be born and then do nothing. The wise men go by themselves. There's no indication that any of the religious leaders that knew the answers, that had the information, that the one they had been waiting for to show up, all of a sudden shows up. The answer to their prayers is right in front of them. And what do they do? Nothing. And I wonder how easily we fit into that camp. This invitation to go and to lay everything at the feet of Jesus, which is the third response, and we see it in these mysterious strangers from far away. As they bow down and they worship, and then they give him everything they have. We know the gifts of the Magi is part of that story. Gifts fit for a king. But it's actually interesting because it's not just fit king uh, gifts fit for a king there's three gifts each one deeply significant gold obviously the gift for kings we see that all the way back to Solomon and David Jesus being the true king of kings the anointed one the prophesied one this gift a statement that we recognize you as the true king, the Lord over us. But there's also frankincense. 
was actually the gift for a priest. The most expensive fragrance used in Old Testament worship, sprinkled that aroma of worship in the temple. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the true high priest, not just a king, but a priest who lives to make intercession for us. Our advocate who stands alongside of us. Our priest that represents us before God and represents God to us. But then there's this third gift that's interesting. It's it's myrrh. It's easy we just think, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's the Christmas story. But myrrh had nothing to do with babies being born. Myrrh was actually the oil used to embalm dead people. It's a gift for a funeral, not a gift for a birth. So even as they come bringing their gifts, they come that this baby born to be king was also, and priest was also a baby born to die. There's this famous Christmas hymn. It's one of my favorites. It's been sung by all kinds of singers and bands and genres, from classic Christmas to country to thrash heavy metal. But my favorite is Mariah Carey. And the song is, Oh, Holy Night. I'm not going to sing it for you, don't worry. But I wanted you to look at these lyrics, and actually it's where we've gotten this, this theme we're going to carry through uh, our Advent season all the way up to Christmas Eve. And you'll see that when we get there. Let me just read these lyrics to you. Oh, Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope, this glimpse that the pain of our story is not the end of our story. The struggle of our story isn't the defining aspect of our story. I don't know if any of y'all were awake early this morning. The storm that came through when you woke up this morning, it was pouring down rain. But as I sat at the kitchen table and was, was uh, reading the Bible this morning, and I, I, all of a sudden I noticed, and, and my kind of side is turned to where the windows are, and all of a sudden it just, it, it was like this bright light just also started shining through the windows. And so I went and looked, and it was the sun breaking through the clouds to this beautiful morning that we now have. Now, if you just woke up, like my children, late, all you would see is the sun, this beautiful day. You would have missed the fact that it looked like it was going to be miserable. In the same way, yonder breaks this new and glorious morn, and what is the response Fall on your, near, on your knees, O oh, hear the angel voices. O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born. 
And the next verse says, Led by the light of faith, serenely beaming, with glowing hearts, by his cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from Orient Land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. The guy who wrote this, actually it's a very interesting story, I won't go into the details. I wanted to share this with you, but we don't have time, but it's fascinating. Uh, the story was actually written, I mean, sorry, the song was originally written in France uh, by a revolutionary who wrote a poem and, uh, and then gave it to his atheist friend to put it to music. And it actually then be, it was banned in France because it wasn't religious enough, which is interesting when you read the word. I don't know what they were looking for. And it made its way across to America where a young pastor who'd actually given up on being a pastor translated it into English to give us the song that we need. But this pastor was actually an abolitionist right before the Civil War. And it was this one, this third verse of the song that actually grabbed his heart. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy, in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. The power of this song is that in response to this glimpse of hope that God gives, the response, the response is to fall on our knees in worship, in awe, and reverence. The presence of God made available for us right now, for each one of us here in our own stories. But then the song continues that from this position of awe and reverence and worship that is deserved, we stand up and we move forward in love for redemption and hope that it's not just hope that sustains us it's actually hope that gives us the power to keep moving forward and all that God has for us and the ways that God meets us along our journey he also sends us forward that we would become the ones having met Jesus, the bringer of hope, to be those that bring and restore hope for others, to break the chains of oppression, of brokenness, for those that feel lost and abandoned in darkness and despair. I read that verse that Paul writes out of Romans that we look back to the stories of Scripture of hope, but this is where he continues a few verses later, his prayer. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope to receive and to release this amazing gift of God. And so may these mysterious strangers and their story speak into your story. 
As we begin this Advent season, may God meet you wherever you are in the journey, in the questions that feel unanswered, in the struggle that feels real, that we look up to a God who is faithful and meets us wherever we are, and we look forward in expectation to the one that will restore all things. So I want to pray for us now as we continue in worship this morning. And pray that these words, both the words of Scripture and these words of this amazing old hymn would speak into our lives and our story today. So Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a God of hope. That you are our expectation. Think about the words of Jesus to seek first your kingdom and you will add all things. But may we even right now, Lord, Whatever circumstances, whatever struggles that we're having, God, will you show us where you are in the middle of it, that it would be you that we seek after. Not answers, not resolution. You, Jesus. That we would trust that you will give us whatever it is that we need. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here. that needs that word of hope from you, our living God, that you are present and you are near and you are faithful and that your story continues and that you will meet us fully in the end to restore all things. That you will make all things right. That you're working all things together for our good and for your glory. God, that you are in control, that we can trust you, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you, Lord, are the true king that is deserving of our worship. So even right now, like the, the sun that breaks through the clouds, would you give a word of hope and healing to each one of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as we worship, we invite you to take communion. That reminder, the presence of God with us. Jesus who said, this bread is my body given for you. Take and eat. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance, the reality of me. And he took that cup, the cup of redemption, and said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins, the blood of a new covenant. Take and drink, and every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So as we receive the bread and the cup of communion, we remember the presence, the grace, the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ and receive his grace and love the reality of hope today.